and welcome to After Party 54. We are Find the Path, and we're playing Mommy's Mask. I did that in a weird order. Wow, yeah, that did. was weird. You're in charge. <laughs> Say it, do it however you want, Jess. I covered all the points. <laughs> sort of. Uh, Everybody sit down and shut up. It's an after party. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this after party covers episode 160, 161, and 162. Or as I like to call it, the one where things fall out of the sky and everything is bad. I mean, it wasn't all bad. True. Only some of it. Not quite a TPK. Yeah. And by that, I mean nobody died. Nobody died. Not for lack of trying. Yeah. So in 160, everybody, uh, we met some more folks from the... uh, from Canada, I guess. The Invisible Stalkers. Yep. <laughs> yeah. From Canada. <laughs> because the, air, the plane of air is Canada. I remember? It's true, Something. yes. Yep. I didn't get to say a boot once. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Missed opportunity on your part. And it's we true. got to look at the uh, aeromantic focus from a distance, I guess. And then we decided, well, we don't want to fight these guys. It'll be fine. As we established in the last episode, you decided, eh, I don't want the duration of my spell to wear off. Yep. <laughs> I really didn't yep. want to lose my spell. <laughs> Ah, such is life. Uh, then we went across and we looked at the Scrivener's walls and saw essentially like a text message uh, thread. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's like somebody's Snapchat. <laughs> yeah. Except it didn't go away, which was interesting. And none of us could figure out what the heck that did. Can we That's know true. what that does now? Now that it fell to the ground? I'm going to say no. Oh, that means there's another because one. Because we're going to probably run into it yeah, again. This yeah, we might see another one. probably isn't going to be the last one that you run into. Okay. Maybe but we'll get, get to get some uh, hints about uh, what Hawkatep's been up to. It is too bad that we couldn't figure out how it worked and we couldn't have sent like a trolling message to Well, maybe we can check again next time we see one. Numbers like Mashika, let me, I just want to like Xerox my butt. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to send like a weird ominous message, you know? Then Mashika has to explain his armor (laughs) how he doesn't have a butt. All you send is the most terrifying message in the world. We need to talk. Yes. Mm. And every time we get to a new pyramid, we just send we need to talk. (laughs) But yeah, so then we had our big fight with uh, Isatem Kebet. Yeah. Uh, who was, wanted to 1v1 Sudi, and Sudi had an epic line. I'm really glad I did not sign I did not sign on for the 1v1. Yeah, that would have been bad. Because yeah. uh, she hit real hard. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't actually get to use a lot of her cool stuff just because she. I was rolling pretty poorly. We focused on her, uh, like, essentially, we were like, eh, these other guys, who cares? This lady. Yeah. yeah. Which was. <laughs> Both smart and foolish. Well, we we didn't know. Yeah, because she—I mean, she's a straight-up fighter. Uh, Fourteen levels of fighter, in fact. Yeah. Wow! Wow! That'll, that'll kick your butt. She has improved critical for a kopesh, so it's a seventeen to twenty critical range. Ouch! Critical focus, and but then she has the whole shield bashing tree that also gives you the bull rush when you shield bash people and mm. all sorts of other stuff. Again, she has a lot of really neat abilities. Gonna say, she tried to bull rush me, right? Yeah, but yeah, at least once. Yeah, yeah, and I finally got to use my like plus four versus bull rush and trip. Yeah, which was pretty cool. It was cool. I am like, and a then stone. she died and spitefully said fall, and then we were all like, what? And that was a cliffhanger episode. The interesting thing about I actually did that for dramatic effect, or actually saying fall. Oh, it was gonna fall regardless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's if she is slain, it just falls. Yeah. Well, boo. But we didn't know at the time, and, you know. No. Nope. It is what it is. Sudi long ago abandoned his, uh, well, I guess she's undead, so non-lethal doesn't do anything anyway. Well, yeah, no, that's why it's like, no, I just go wild on her. <laughs> wild go out. Wild on her. What are you, Red Ross over here? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, like, Tasmanian devil. 
Oh, that's you. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, so uh, we dropped a pyramid out of the sky. Yeah, so then in episode 61, we were all like, oh crap, this is falling. And half of us stayed and half of us left. Uh, Masika bravely trying to go to the engine room to take over the warp core. There's lots of people in Wati. The realization that the the air, uh, the invisible stalkers actually can't do anything to control the pyramid and also fell. That was sad. Or they weren't there at all. I, I'm not 100% sure. Like they, when the magic of the place left, were they also unsummoned or did they die in the fall? They were unsummoned. Hmm. Because uh, as part of the magic that infused the area, it also binds the five invisible stalkers to the room. Oh, okay. So they weren't even in that room. So when the magic died. They peaced out. Yeah, they they were forced back to their home plane. Hmm. So now that we have a better understanding of how that works, is there a, could we have actually stopped or like made the pyramid fly and ground itself before we fought her? It didn't seem like it. You can disable it. You cannot override the control Mm. just because you have to be appointed by the person that actually has control over it. But you could disable it in that you could make it fall? Well, if you disable it, you can make it drop and it actually is a controlled drop. So when you disable it, it lands over the course of 2d4 plus 6 rounds. So it would have been a soft landing instead of a oops landing. Yeah, you don't take damage when this happens, uh, but you do have to make a reflex save or be knocked prone because it's still a rough landing, but it's not. Could we have like guided it where to land? No, it says it uh, spins out in a widening spiral descent and Mm -hmm. that uh, the adventure assumes that it does not land on Wati. Oh, well, uh, that's nice. Uh, but I mean, it, does, it does strike close enough outside of the city walls to provide a harrowing spectacle to the citizens of the city. Mm. Well, we kind of did that. We at least got it over the necropolis, right? Yeah, was yeah we got <laughs> lucky fine. in that. Was that us just being really lucky and you doing a dice roll or were you just going to? I just rolled a D8 to see which direction it had drifted. So there was a chance that it could have killed a crap ton of there, people. There was a three and eight chance that it would go that way. There was a chance it could actually like landed basically on the Mafre estate, which would have been. <laughs> oh, that would have been weird. <laughs> really sad for Onuris in the afterlife. It would have been super <laughs> ironic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> when Citra finally died on Onuris, would be waiting at the end going. I think Heather would have raged for weeks <laughs> if that had happened. I don't know. That's kind of funny. Like, I mean, there, there's, one, there's one option where it just drifted out and you landed in the river. <laughs> I mean, his... Mom's not a nice person, but she doesn't deserve to be murdered by a pyramid following on her. She wasn't the Wicked Witch of the East. (laughs) She may not have been home. And the rest of the family and the servants who have nothing to do with anything. They may have all been like, you know what? We're rich. Let's leave this town. (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's basically when I decided to do it, I decided to roll D8 to figure out which direction that it went. So we got really lucky is what you're saying. I mean, you could have gotten luckier because one of those directions would have landed in the river, which wouldn't have hit the town at all. I mean, it would have sucked because it would have been the river. (laughs) It would have been an issue for the river travel. And the other one is actually would have crashed outside of the city. Mm -hmm. So So we got middle of the road. Three of them were necropolis. Three of them were in the city. And then two of them were outside. Mm. You didn't land on the worst options. Well, that's good. Is the worst option it lands on the temple of uh, Nethys and just crushes right. that entire like place. Honestly, if it lands anywhere with living people, that's a bad, bad yeah, thing. Yeah, that's the yeah, bad. Yeah, that'd have been yeah. a bad time. Hmm. So, could have been worse. So what I'm hearing is, is we should have, we should have uh, tried to disable the thingamajig. Well, yeah, and I mean, you'll know for next time. Yeah. True. 
Next don't time, kill, disable the thing first. The, the big bad guy yeah. of, the, of the temple until next we time. Adhere to what Jessica said and make sure you clear every single room before you go to the boss fight. I wanted to stay and mess with it because of my knowledge in engineering and everything, but just well, like my spell's going to run out. We also would have had to kill those invisible stalkers. Well, actually, if, interesting enough, you can actually observe it and try to figure out how to turn it off without touching it. Because that's why I asked if you guys wanted to observe it, because they only interfere with you when you touch it. Now, mind you, after that, you would have had to have disabled it. Yeah. <laughs> which means. Although, once them. you disable it, you've broken the magic, which dismisses them. So, if you can yeah. disable it fast enough. Now, regardless, we would have been rolling initiative. That's what would have been happening. It's true. Technically speaking, if it was a disabled device, I won't say what it was, but if it was a disabled device, uh, Citra could actually vanish and disable device while also invisible because it's not an offensive <laughs> action. <laughs> and they don't have seen invisibility on how or they quick do. I was. Sorry. Yeah, true. Wild. Don't mind me. So anyway, we fell. I thought for sure that I was like, oh man, we're going to have two new characters. This is going to suck. <laughs> oh, I was I was like, oh no, I'm going to feel really bad for ditching. Can I just point out the second time. Second time in one day. One day. <laughs> Sutra fell out of the sky. Hey, you survived both times, which is pretty impressive. True. So how was it is it still the same amount of damage of falling like 500 feet or whatever? Destroying us Katimhabet causes a much more violent backlash uh, as her undead enemy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the magic keeping the tomb aloft fails. Uh, it's her soul moves on to the afterlife. The five-pointed sun hurtles to the ground in the course of a single round. All occupants in the pyramid take 20d6 points of falling damage Ooh. as a result. Yikes. What's the max on that? Uh, the max of that be 120 points of damage. Ugh. So it theoretically could have killed me. Yep. Ugh. It would have come yeah. darn close to killing me. I think me. in both cases, I think the first time against Citroen, I think the second time I rolled above average, because I think average for that would be about 65 points of damage. I don't Somewhere even Somewhere right in that I range. I think I took like 70-something the first time, didn't I? I've yeah. So I think in both cases, I rolled better than average. Hmm. Good for you. proud. Trying to kill my character. I mean, it could have been as low as 20 points of damage if I rolled nothing but once. <laughs> or if you had, uh, uh, isn't there, there's a magic item where you take minimum fall damage. Sorry, 70 points of damage is average. Yeah, so you could have taken 20 if you had like that. I think it's uh, softball boots or something like that. There's some magic item that you, like, you take literally like the minimum amount of falling damage. Yeah, I think they're catfall boots. So Citra needs to get her some of them. <laughs> you also, yeah, also if you uh, if you fall while taking those boots, you always land on your feet, even if you take falling damage. You don't yep. fall prone. <laughs> I remember That's my rope cool. had them. Yeah, I've always found them a, a really neat magic item. Then we poked around, you know, got some treasure and whatnot, found out that the harpy, one of the harpies had died too. Yep. Uh, and the other one's she just didn't out there. She make it out the hole. Um, and then otherwise, you know, Tetmanib was there. We told him, what's up? And then we went and saw Falto at the Tooth and Hookah. Before you guys left, you did search the sarcophagus for Iskatimhabet. And I we got a cool super cool helmet. Yeah, she had a yeah. cool helmet that was really bad for her undead self. Uh, well, all of them were. Yeah. Uh, it, it specifically said, ironically, uh, she has no use for these new items that are undead li afterlife. And so she just left them in her thing because that's her helm of brilliance, her paraffin of wound closure and her ring of stony flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty funny. But it does point out that it's like Iskatimhabet made good use of the helm of brilliance in life. And so only one diamond, two rubies, five opals and uh, fire opals and one opal remain. <laughs> well, you know what? Citra will use it up for her. There you go. Then we saw Falto in episode 60, 162. Uh, he told us some crazy stuff, and we, we met his dad, and we were all like, that guy's sus. Pretty much. Yeah. He, Even he though Sudi has no reason to really distrust him. 
He's just one of the survivors from a Lovecraftian story. They're all like that. <laughs> I mean, <It's>... that's fair. <laughs> He's the one yeah. guy who got out of the Call of Cthulhu game. probably sacrificed his son if he was feeling right that day to get a glimpse of that rock. We don't know. Yeah, that's my worry is that he's going to get into that moment of weakness and then just stabby stab Falto. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not cool. Well, that's why I was saying like it should be somebody else who takes it and hides it because then that he's got to go find that person who's not his son. He can't just you know? like torture them. In the circle that he's working with, it's Falto and two other Pathfinders. He's yeah. not going to trust the Pathfinders. Yeah. So. Yet. Yet. The following episode ended up being kind of a almost more of a recap for what happened during the Faded Tales and, and getting people caught up to speed. So uh, as many people probably already guessed by this point, uh, we are going to be doing a spinoff. Yeah. Like an interlude. Yeah, a little interlude, a little uh, a little side story. Maybe it's more like the Fated Tales. Now it has a T. <laughs> oh, yeah, there oh, that's, it's got a you know, T in there. That would yeah. work. Which That'd is what I thought the faded were called for like the first like four or five episodes <laughs> they were around because sometimes that's hard to differentiate. Mm. Yeah. Well, trust me, that's not the first and or last word that I will mispronounce or possibly say. Well, poorly. it's not you mispronouncing. <laughs> I do it's not just enunciate very and well. Fated. Yes, you do. If you don't enunciate very well, sound the exact same. But now it's the fated tales. Maybe. That's true. If only I had Patrick Stewart levels of enunciation. That man. Red leather, yellow leather. Yep. Yeah, so you guys got a, a quick heads up about uh, everything that was going on as far as like Neralathotep and the uh, a little bit of a nod to the Cult of Starry Wisdom there. And uh, as far as like there being multiple versions of this box, because all of this ties back into a, a whole bunch of stuff from various Lovecraftian sources uh, and beyond. Actually, some of this is uh, Robert Block. And we were all like, this seems bad, but we're on a time crunch. I know. <laughs> I talked to Rachel a little bit about this afterwards. I felt like this was the best time to reintroduce this storyline because you guys don't have time for it. And there's yep. not going to be the yeah. argument of yep. why Why aren't the doorkeepers doing something about this? It's like, yeah. like, yeah, if you'd literally done this at the end of book four before, like we'd known that that Hakatep had awoken and stuff, we'd have been like, let's go take care of that right now. Yeah, we, we could we could take some time out real quick to we'll go do and deal with this stuff. Yeah, but now it's, oh, wait, they're because we kind of skipped over this when you guys were looking at the Scrivener's Wall, there are literal pyramids on their way to major cities across Garoon. Yeah, I don't love yep. that. Yeah, I don't love we that We kind of need bit. to deal with this now. So yeah, I think it'll be a fun opportunity to, to get a little bit of a, a side story going before we really sink our teeth into book five. Yeah, and, um, and I say that after you guys have gotten 20 pages already into book five, but really <laughs> single book five. This was the teaser to book five. Get to the big yeah. complex of all the mini dungeons yes. where we have to follow that giant list of instructions we got from Chisisek. Yep. I was going to say, I hope one of you wrote it down. Congratulations, you have uh, you finished the book five tutorial level, and now it's time <laughs> to move on into the main game. It will be interesting. I'm looking forward to this story, and then hopefully the audience will be enjoying a brief uh, break from the the continued push, push, push to have a, a small side story where I get to really delve into my uh, my want to play Call of Cthulhu. Oh, what if the side story was done in Call of Cthulhu? That would be oh, interesting. Oh, Lord, no. Yeah. Yeah. Just call it Path of Cthulhu. You take crossover. your Pathfinder character, but you roll using Cthulhu rules. <laughs> oh, no. so, where you want to roll low. Heather has the worst system. luck and Jordan has the best. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, don't I won't. Um, it's been a long time since I read over this. I won't even consider this a spoiler because uh, I wouldn't spoil this since all of you uh, haven't actually played this adventure path to its conclusion. But if I recall correctly, there's a section in the last book for strange aeons on the continuing the adventure 
which is literally that it does a whole, was it block or chambers? I can't remember who it was. Might have been Clark Ashton Smith that really loved the past life regression where it's like, oh, someone gets a concussion and then has like, you know, and now I'm Conan the Barbarian in my past <laughs> life. And then I come back to myself and I'm like, oh, I'm an English gentleman, but I remember being Conan the Barbarian. Uh, so it was that it's just like continue the adventure is all the characters wake up, but they're actually in like 1920s. New York <laughs> and they've been having a dream about being these fantasy heroes the entire time and now you're in Call of Cthulhu but you remember everything that you remembered before <laughs> weird weird that would be interesting <laughs> be sad I wanted to say that that's anymore. a Clark Ashton Smith I wanted to say that that's something with like the white people the white which was people. not about white people white people <laughs> like, you're gonna have to expand on that <laughs> uh, they're about like tiny they're like quote unquote little people that lived in like the Celtic highlands that were like part snake and then kidnapped people it's a whole thing weird fiction is people? truly weird sometimes. weird fiction is sometimes truly weird and then I think <laughs> someone got clobbed on the head and then remembered being Conan and then they woke up after having gone to the cave in which Conan was in previously alright Pathfolk does anyone have any idea what Rick is talking about? Or is this some weird fever dream? Let us know. I think the guy was there to murder another dude that stole his girl. And then when he went, <laughs> like had a vision back in time to Conan, Conan was there to murder a dude who stole his girl. And then both of them died. But this time the guy had a gun. And so he just shot the the snake person. Seriously, Patfolk, I need to know if this is a real thing or if I Rick has lost his mind. I guarantee somebody in the Discord is going to listen to this and go, I know exactly what you're talking about, <laughs> Yeah, I'm about, sure Rick. somebody knows what right. Right. Let I'll us know. I'll post it in the show notes if I remember what this story <laughs> was. Okay, we have <laughs> emails. We're moving on. Away yeah. from yeah. We, I think we should. We should. That's yep. what we're doing. Yep. Excellent. So get All ready right. for the spinoff. Yes, get and ready for the spinoff. maybe snake people. We'll see if Falto's dad does him dirty or not. We'll see if Falto's dad's a snake person. I think he might be a snake person. Uh, Interesting. All right. So this email comes from a friend named Morgan. Hi, Morgan. Morgan does not say where they are from. Wisconsin. Cheese. Il formaggio. Where has lots of cows and cheese? Taldor. Taldor. I know Taldor has a lot of cheese. I don't know. I feel like halflings would be down with dots of dairy and cheese. Oh, yeah. Galt. Galt wouldn't be bad. Yeah. Because cheese. What's Go France. with like the French yeah. cheese tradition, yeah. Was it Litrin? I think it's Litrin that's in Galt. It's kind of a, a small Galton community. Apparently, they are now known for their cheese. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, uh, they're also the headquarters of the Great Gardeners, but sure. Oh, why not God. Galt? Or why not Galt? <laughs> Great. Over in Just Litrin. where you want to be from. Well, that's little dairy good. farm outside of uh, Litrin and Galt. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, All Morgan right. writes, hello, path friends. Hello. Hello. After starting from episode one of Mummy's Mask in early November, I am finally caught up and get to say hello. Bravo. Awesome. Wow. Yep. I also want to say thank you, but the story is a tad long, so please bear with me. Okay. (laughs) By a tad long, they mean it's like a paragraph. Okay. (laughs) I'd never played any TTRPGs until a year ago when my partner asked to start a Pathfinder game with me and some friends. As a way to stay connected after I moved 2,000 miles away to Wisconsin for work. That's how I knew Wisconsin. Wow. Wow. Uh, Especially after COVID limited air travel. Yeah. Wow. I was happy to play, but I get really anxious playing games with other people and was very quickly overwhelmed by the you can do anything range of possibilities. I know that feeling. Yep. I understand that. Yeah. It's the paradox of choice. Yeah. I asked my partner for some suggestions of podcasts, Twitch channels, YouTube channels, where I could get some concrete ideas of what, quote, anything looks like. And being an (laughs) avid supporter of yours, 
Not to mention one of your subreddit moderators. Oh, he suggested wow. you. <laughs> Obviously, this is Jay. That's the only. Yeah, yeah. Okay. he's our Jordan. only moderator. That's so. not Sarah Goodcouch. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jay. Yeah. As always, doing the good work. It's true. Yep. So for the thank you, thank you for helping me show the wide range of possibilities in the wonderful world of Pathfinder and making me feel more comfortable diving into my own game. Yay. Awesome. Your creativity awesome. is inspiring and your ridiculous role-playing scenarios are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> More than that, thank you for giving me a way to show my occasionally oblivious partner that I love him. Hi, Jay. Oh, it's so cute. Oh, I know exactly who this is. Ooh, is their ship name May? <laughs> oh, it is now. Uh, yeah, now it is. There, it could be Jorgen. I like May. May is May. I think All May right, is May fine. Is. I would also be okay with jargon, just because I like the <laughs> jargon. Uh, as for my question, it is, what do you do when you have nothing you can do? For oh. context, my group just finished the first session of a new module, The Slithering. That's nothing the but oozes. <laughs> and my character had basically nothing to address the situation at hand for various reasons. I decided to try and see if there was a big burly blacksmith around somewhere, and my GM rolled a percentile to find out that there was, and with some diplomacy, he was willing to help. Awesome. So the question is, what do you do when you have nothing you can do? I think we've all been in that situation. The beauty, especially, um, it's a little harder to do in second edition, but in first edition. The beauty of the system is it does kind of account for that with the eight and other actions. That's Yeah, yep, that's, that's what I was so going to say. It's, if all else fails, you can always attempt to aid someone else who does have something that they can do. Uh, even if it's something along the lines of, well, in this situation where it's okay, we're maybe doing like a role play thing and my character's not very good at like diplomacy or any of the rest of this stuff. Or, you know, again, you're just like, I'm just trying to find a blacksmith just saying, okay, well, I can't really contribute to what's going on right now, but I'll go up to the bar get a drink and see if I can gather some information or, you know, I'll just tag along with one of these other people and just be like, yeah, what this guy said and try to aid another on a diplomacy <laughs> check. Yeah. Yeah. Aid in first edition is very good. Especially in first edition. It's, yeah. yeah. Well, in and you can even sure. do it in combat to like lower mm -hmm. a tar you know, somebody's AC or, yeah. you know, yeah. Things lower like AC that. or buff one of your allies. AC. Yeah. Buffing is good. I yep. mean, in general, even spellcasters, you know, take a buff spell or two just in case because there's been a lot of yeah. situations where magic's not going to really do anything offensively for me but I can haste the group or I can you yeah. know, make Sudi big or whatever like mm -hmm. taking some buff spells is a good idea if you're doing you'll inevitably run into a golem mm -hmm. yeah um, and if <laughs> yeah. it's if it's something that like you know combat wise you can always try to provide a flank yep yeah so <laughs> yeah. Pro provide a flank um, they may not even care about you but you're still giving a plus two to your allies mm -hmm. yeah and maybe a little bit, uh, I don't think necessarily controversial, but another kind of view on this is if it's not in a combat situation, if it's in something like, you know, oh, a storytelling situation where people are investigating or you're talking to people and you don't really have a skill or anything that would, would aid in the situation. Sometimes it's okay to just go, this character, this player is playing a character that is great for the situation. Here's the spotlight. I'll just take a step back. Yeah, like, yep. I'm just going to keep watch down this hall. You know, I'm going to, you, you guys go and do your investigation thing. I'm just going to be here and be ready. A lot of times the GM will probably, especially if someone's watching, just kind of give you something where it's just like, okay, go ahead and make me a perception roll. Maybe you see something down the way, or maybe you're prepared, or maybe you get a plus two bonus on the initiative check for when somebody comes in, because you were prepared, mm -hmm. even if everyone else was kind of busy doing something yeah, to sure. reflect it some. Yeah, I was going to say my, my go-to, especially for like, uh, uh, and this is not necessarily in this game, but like other games where like, you know, there's investigation and stuff. 
I'm watching the rear guard, guarding yeah. the door to the room or something like that. Like that doesn't maybe feel like you're doing anything like super valuable, but it's going to be one of those things. It's like an insurance policy. It eventually pays dividends because something will try to sneak up on you. If you get in the habit yeah. of, of playing mm -hmm. like that, then you'll catch them when they try to come after you. It's especially a good idea to do to just kind of take a step back if you're if it's a player that's playing a character that's not usually as front and center in combat. So if you're playing a fighter and it's just like, oh, here's the investigator over here, and now we're having to investigate stuff, it's okay to just step back and go, look, I get the limelight every time that we get into a, a dust stop. So it's fine if, you know, we're making perception checks and skill checks and you take the front. Mm -hmm. All right. So next question for Rick. How do you respond when players want random things to exist in the game? For the rest of y'all, <laughs> like uh, like string boards. Uh, for the rest of y'all, what do you do? Uh, what do you turn to when you don't have something useful to use? We already answered that question. So the right question is, how do you respond when players want random things to exist in the game? Really, it just depends on how it affects the game. So if it's something along the lines of, you know, hey, can I go to a shop and buy a skateboard? That's random. And I don't really think that that would be something that would work here. So I'm firmly of the GM class that it's okay to tell your players no. Yep. You can also just go, okay, well, yeah, they don't really have like a skateboard or anything here, but why don't you just get a chariot? Because you inevitably get into like the, you should never tell your players no. And then someone's like, great, can I go and buy an AK-47 down at the shop? And it's like, that's <laughs> not the game we're playing. Yeah. This yeah. is not Numeria. You cannot. <laughs> they don't know what this Even AK in Numeria, you is. can't buy slug throwers, so... If players are asking for something that just is, again, like Hollis having a, a string board and all the rest of that stuff, or it's just like, okay, it's just kind of a funny thing that it crops up every once in a while, fine. And it has no game mechanic. At no yeah. point is Jessica going to be like, I'm going to take all the string off my string board <laughs> to make a trail of string behind us so I can find my way out yeah. of this maze. Finally, yeah. elaborate. Yeah. At no point are we weaponizing Stinger Jr. You know, yeah. like that's never yeah. going to be a thing that Narmer just throws Stinger Jr. Yeah, Heather doesn't have fight. to buy feed for Stinger Jr. Yeah. Now, <laughs> if it's not, if it's random, but not unreasonable, you always have dice. So if it is something along the lines of, okay, I want to go to the tavern and maybe, maybe if the band's up there, do they have any string instruments that I could borrow from them? So I could do a little performance and maybe make a couple gold pieces because I don't have a, you know, but I have perform, but I don't have a, a guitar or a violin or anything on me. Mm. Yeah, sure. You can just bounce some dice and kind of see, or if it's just like, yeah, I want to see if the local apothecary carrying some eye of newt or something so I can use it in a barter with this hag. It's mm. like, all right, fine. Go down there and find out. Yep. Uh, I can't remember what game does it where I think it might be Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green or something like that, where they literally have a luck roll that you can ask if something exists. And it's oh, a, Call of Cthulhu a 50, has 50 a luck chance. roll, yeah. Yeah, where it's just like you just roll it and go, okay, sure, see. I've heard some people do that with 5e2 where it's like the GM's like, well, I don't know, roll. Uh, if you get above a 10, it'll, it exists. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's uh, especially as a player, you should never try to like abuse that too far of just like, okay, well, can I roll a 50 50 chance to see if there's a fighter jet in the shop down the line? Just be mindful of the setting. That's I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just one of those, no, there's not going to be a fighter jet in ancient Osirian. Pick your but, shenanigans yeah. wisely. Come back for next week's Starfinder game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is also one of those things like as a, as a GM, they may be wanting, like ask them what they want it for. And you may find there's another item that would satisfy that, but it's more, you know, common. We don't have a fighter jet, but we do have a flying carpet with a Gatling gun. <laughs> this we do have a flying carpet with an alchemist and that's basically a B2 bomber. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. So uh, they wrap up. Thanks for many hours of a wonderful story that kept me occupied during a lonely Wisconsin winter in quarantine. 
Oh, you're welcome, you. Morgan. And thank um, you, Jay, for recommending right? new Yeah, yeah, for sure. You accompanied me on many snowy Sub-Zero walks with warm thoughts of friendship and shenanigans in a blistering hot <laughs> desert. <laughs> always provide shenanigans. Yep. Looking forward to hearing how the doorkeepers fare with the rest of the sightless sphinx. Cross that out with the uh, slave trenches of Hakatep. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, awesome. Sphinx, nice. nobody died. Thank you, Morgan. It's true. <laughs> All right, shuffling along here to email two from Rick and Martel. Rick, hey, Rick, why did you write your own thing? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I had questions and I need answers. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up and read my email. <laughs> uh, so they say, how do y'all from Martel, or at least a suburb of Martel, the land of sugar. So this person is from Sugarland outside Houston. <laughs> Oh, oh, nice. So that's fun. Or Sugar's new ancestral homeland where the silky chickens come from oh. in the mana wastes. It's true. Uh, just wanted to say that you guys are the first actual play podcast that I've caught up with. Oh, oh awesome. thank you. Oh, thank you. Special. High praise. Yeah. I love the podcast, the players, the characters, and the GM. I'm told the best GMs are named Rick, but that might have been players <laughs> hoping for more hero points. <laughs> you're anything like me flattery gets we, no okay, one why have anything why have we not tried that tactic before in the because it doesn't game? work because flattery doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> we know we know our rick better yeah, than that you true. know what does work on our rick i just don't think that's narratively satisfying <laughs> <laughs> although more than half the time i respond to you're just not seeing the big picture <laughs> Sparingly, you have to use that tactic. Anyway, thanks for making such a great podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying it's great. We're getting to a big old question. Here we go. Uh oh. There's mechanics in this question. So (laughs) prepare your brain. Okay, here we go. All right. As for Paladin Smites make boss fights too easy, let Mm -hmm. me give you a combo that makes Smites even more ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Power game and Smites. Everyone playing a Paladin at home, take out your notebooks. Yep. Yep. You got to get your party to agree. Uh, at 12th level, Aura of Justice lets the Paladin share their smite with allies up to 10 feet away. Yep, yep it's unnecessary. It's amazing. <laughs> now, imagine that one of those allies is a high-level dragon disciple who goes to town with claw, claw, bite, wing, wing, tail slap. Oh! <laughs> Let's just say that Karzog got quite a whooping. <laughs> wow. We didn't That's have fair. that, but we did have the I think we had the aura and then we had named bullet and we had my half halfling investigator with a gun and critical. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah, was with like automatic much critical crit at that point, yeah. <laughs> right, honestly, yeah, so. I keep thinking about playing a paladin sorcerer dragon disciple. But I'd have to find another group because the GMs in my gaming circle know better. <laughs> That's fair. Sounds like you've got a reputation brewing, which is, you know, its own reward. Yep. This actually wasn't a question. The question <laughs> More is separate. A statement. That was just an interesting okay. thing to think about. Uh, and here's the question I'm sure you have a canned answer for. And probably, and I've probably even heard it. <laughs> First off, we don't can answers here on Find the Path. We're <laughs> genuine every single time. We're all organic, free-range answers. We forget what we answered just yesterday. You'd probably get answers if you did a, (laughs) you know, a mashup cut. Yeah, probably. What software and hardware are you guys doing for the podcast? I'm thinking about adding another boat to the high tide that is raising all ships. I think that metaphor may have gotten away from me. I mean, I want to start an RPG AP podcast. Cool. So, all right. What are what software and hardware? Technically, there are two phases for Find the Path. So in oh phase my. one, which is what we started with, uh, we were using the Audio-Technica 2100 microphones into a Behringer six-channel mixer. From that into a Zoom H4N recorder. 
So that's all and of us in the same room. Mixing afterwards. Yes. All that was yeah. in the same room when we were all together. Everyone had And that was also mic. before we had a Patreon. When we had the Patreon and had money, uh, because those <laughs> those microphones are less than $100 each. Yeah. Uh, once we launched the Patreon and all of you fine people were able to support us enough to upgrade our equipment, and, uh, we are all using Shure SM7Bs, with the exception of Heather, who's using a Shure, uh, M, uh, Shure MV7. All of these are then plugged in to a Focusrite, uh, in most of our cases, a Focusrite Solo, which is uh, an audio interface that plugs in directly USB to your computer. Uh, each of them have a lifter in there. In this case, we're using Fitheads. Most people use uh, cloud lifters, which basically just takes uh, phantom power and boosts the strength of your microphone, providing about 24 decibels of clean gain. Which the Shures actually need to even make sound at all. So. Yeah, well, you can turn up your gain to max and still get audio out of it, but you're you're really kind of degrading your audio at that point. All of that just kind of goes in. We use uh, Zencaster to record remotely as it records each of our channels separately and then uploads all of those into a uh, digital fold folder, which we can all pull from later. And when we first started out, we were using Audacity, which is a free program that you can use for your audio editing. Uh, I've recently been toying around with Reaper. So, which is kind of a step up. It's a, uh, the interface is not very user friendly. I find none yeah. of them so, are, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. because Zencaster sometimes does have hiccups, all of us do have run Audacity running on our individual computers as a backup. Yes. So we have backups of our individual audio tracks that Rick can mix together if Zencaster decides to be stupid. Yeah. And of course, if you have something like uh, Audition Pro, that works pretty well for audio mixing, uh, especially if you're already using that for something like video mixing or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, that's really the uh, the bulk of it. If you are a Patreon supporter, we do have a number of series. I believe I called it Ultimate Podcasting Equipment, where I updated our podcasting equipment stuff for a little while. Uh, I haven't uh, updated yeah. it in a bit, but I need to kind of go back and touch on that, where I was just kind of letting you know how we've set up our equipment. So, I also, yeah, if, uh, I believe if you go to find-path.com and go to our, like, support uh, page. I think I essentially mirrored those posts. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, you can find some more of that information there. But yeah, if you're just getting started out, started out, I would look at the Audio-Technica 2100. I think that there's a newer version. I think they've actually retired the original version. And then just some XLR cables that run into a, uh, a simple, however many channel mixer you need. One thing I will let people know this confuses a lot of people to begin with is usually the channels will have both a uh, XLR, which is the little three pronged input and a microphone input, which is going to be the uh, eighth inch like headphone jack that you see on electric guitars. And those are both channels. So if you want six XLR inputs, you're going to look for something that says 12 channels because you basically double it. Mm. Yeah. So, the, uh, the only thing yeah. that you did forget is, uh, so we do all have uh, special headphones that we're wearing. They're we do called, have, yes. They're closed back headphones, which means that they are yes. noise canceling so that we don't get bleed over from what we're hearing and what the mic picks up because these mics are very, very sensitive. That is true. ATH-M50X. And uh, you can kind of go a couple steps over there, but the big thing that George mentioned there is you want to make sure that they are closed back, not open back. Uh, yeah. Closed back means that they do not bleed over because otherwise people will hear your headphones on the microphone and you don't want that to happen. So make sure they're closed back, not open back. All right. So, yeah. And also, good luck joining the uh, podcasting community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let yes. us know what it is. We're always interested yeah. to listen to new podcasts. True. We're always happy to hear more people are spreading the love of audio entertainment and Pathfinder. Uh, Rick says, y'all take care and maybe you guys could come down to Houston next year for Alcon. 
Maybe. It will be nice to be able to actually go out and do things next year. So uh, we are excited for that possibility. (laughs) <laughs> Depends on when Alcon is. That's the big And thing. like, yeah. if it's inside, it should be fine. I was gonna say, hopefully, it's inside. It's Texas. It'll be inside. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, it's Texas. It'll yeah. definitely be inside. <laughs> for, for living in Texas, you'd be amazed how pasty we all are. People keep asking. You know, there's there's this heat wave, or there was recently that heat wave that was in the Pacific Northwest, and it was, you know, how do you guys stay so cool? We just stay in, inside with the AC on. That's, yeah, we have houses yeah. with AC. That's we go the, from uh, our yeah, AC house number- to our AC car to our AC buildings and back. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a friend in in Redmond who unfortunately like had to basically just move everything into their living room, set up a window unit that fortunately they actually had. I think they had a family member mail them a window unit to put in wow. and then put towels under all the doors to keep all the cold air in just the one room, which was like yeah. the living room slash kitchen combination mm. and just lived there. Yeah, apparently in Canada it was it got to 125 and was literally cooking shellfish in their sh- in their shells. It's wild. It was, it's, sad. it's wild. Like it's a wild world we live in. And of course, <laughs> we hope that uh, all of our path folk were safe and yes. uh, didn't have any serious issues. The heat is not something to be messed around with. Much like the cold is where you usually are. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Texas can't handle the cold. As we know from earlier this year, Texas cannot handle the cold. Yes. Nope, so. the opposite. <laughs> yep. All right. Last email from Anthony. Uh, from McKinney. Apparently, this is a Texas-heavy oh, situation. Oh, nice. A, You're very us. close. Yeah, that's not far at all. Hmm. Well aware of McKinney. I drove yep. through there just the other day. We got married there. <laughs> Technically, yeah. It was the outer edge of McKinney, but yeah, we did get married in McKinney. <laughs> yep. Uh, what was the name of the venue? I can't remember. The Bingham House. The Bingham House in, uh, in McKinney. Shout okay, out to but the where Galarian is. Shout out to the yeah, Bingham House. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, um, McKinney, I'm figuring we're, are like we're sticking suburb. with the... So we need to find a suburb of like a major city. Gundam Hole. One, because I I just love the name of it. Two, shout out to my dwarves. (laughs) (laughs) But didn't we make, like, Texas the Mana Waste? Is in uh, the Mana Waste. Oh, perfect. Then, yeah. That's that's the the one that's underneath Alkenstar. Oh, it's actually right near Alkenstar. But, yeah, it is the, uh, it's just outside of Martell. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's where they actually originally, because dwarves invented guns, and so it's yep. where the dwarves actually invented the guns. McKinney did not invent guns. Just no, so but know. this is fine. <laughs> this all works great. Okay. This cool. all fits because this place is in the mana waste. All right. They say, Anthony says, hey, guys, uh, just wanted hey. to say I love your podcast and think you all do a tremendous job. Thanks. Thank you. As Thank you. someone that's only ever played 5e, I can honestly say you all do a great job of explaining the crunchy parts of Pathfinder without slowing down the game or reducing the quality of the show. Thank you, Rick, editing that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some, of that uh, some of that's editing and some of that is just that uh, we've gotten better. Yeah. Mm. All your characters and NPCs are stellar, but if anything happens to Sugar, y'all need to seriously make a wish with a ga- <laughs> with a Glabrazoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor wish for the Glabrazoo, and I can only imagine her coming back, except for now she has like black feathers and like tiny little red horns. Yeah. <laughs> this is fine. She's not as all long that as different. She's still soft. It's fine. I'm going to eat all of your hots before this is all over. You can't understand me. I can't understand you. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. <laughs> Sweet Hollis, don't tell the others. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I have a question for Rick that has been bugging me for a while. Uh Uh-oh. One of my favorite parts of TTRPGs is hearing the DM pull back the curtain, and I was wondering if there was any major loot that the party missed early in the AP. For example, uh, example, at the auction at the start of book two, it felt like there were several NPCs established that the party didn't interact with because they didn't really have anything they could sell to them. 
So I guess this is your chance to make us feel sad for all the loot we missed. Rick has his thinking <laughs> face. You know, nothing really springs to mind there. Like, I think I've established the stuff that you guys missed when you were going through the Sightless Sphinx. Yeah, we went through that. Um, but no, you guys were actually pretty thorough. What was during in the, the dance uh, hall? Did the pyramid land on the dance hall? Oh, no, no the now you're asking the real questions. The, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the pyramid would have been tilted slightly because the dance hall was, you know, stronger the, than that. The very end of this AP, we'll go back to the dance hall and take care of whatever's in <laughs> That is the epilogue. That's the epilogue. Those, like, there you go. Yeah, you, you fade to black as we walk in through the doors. We just teleport to the front step of the things. We step in. We kill things and we leave. Like, all right, we're done. For a little palate cleanser between Mummy's Mask and whatever we do after Mummy's Mask. We'll do a little dungeon crawl real quick. <laughs> oh, man. A high-level dungeon crawl. High-level dungeon crawl. Yep. Anything else that comes to mind? Yeah. To be perfectly honest, nothing really springs to mind there. Again, you guys missed a couple things in the Sightless Sphinx, and you missed a couple of locations in uh, the Parched Dunes, mm. uh, including a dragon fight. That's fine. I'm not. I'm, I'm, not I'm usually sad about okay. That. You know, yeah. even though this is a technically Dungeons and Dragons adjacent game, I don't really like killing dragons. I just love dragons. I grew up on Dragonheart, and mm. so it breaks my heart a little bit to have to do. That. Look, if they're if they're shiny, you don't kill them. If they're you know if they're, if they're matte, stab them. <laughs> yeah, you unless know? you're talking about the during the dragon plague, but that's a completely <laughs> separate situation for all of our Taldor fans out there. Again, the only thing that really springs to mind has been from some of the recent books, not from some of the earlier ones. But yeah, the uh, to be fair, those books were like years ago for us. So, all right. So uh, they continue. If you had time, if you have time, I don't know how good we're going to be at answering this question. If you have time, would also love to know your thoughts on how hard it would be to convert an AP like Mummy's Mask to 5e. I know nothing about fifth edition. So, yeah. Easy? It feels easy. I know pretty much nothing about 5th edition also. I would think that it would be relatively easy because Mummy's Mask deals with a lot of very iconic monsters. Yeah, It's a lot of mummies, it's a lot of zombies, it's some skeletons, it's some sphinxes. It's not, it doesn't deal with a whole lot of monsters that are specific to the Galarian setting. Yeah. So, yeah, probably not that hard. Yeah, I think the challenge would be um, because 5e is fairly light on a lot of the rules for items and for uh, like buying and selling stuff and everything that might be a hard point of trying to to convert it you the easiest way to do the money system is just use the pathfinder money system um or but just trying not... to balance the items with how 5e works might be a challenge yeah you could get around it's like money doesn't matter as much in 5e yeah like that's not an, it's not really um, it has equipment but it's not really a gear game so you could just pick the stuff that's cool and and yeah, otherwise. but I feel like I feel like Mummy's Mask specifically is a bit of a gear game because at, at nothing else you have to eventually find a way to fly. Yeah, but know? it has a so. lot of fun stuff, and you can just give that stuff to players. Like you don't have it's not five E yeah. is wobbly on balance. Yeah, in my experience, so you get away with a lot more. Just like mm, this will work. I see a lot of message board support for this a lot of times because the fact is, not to get into the addition wars between five E and Pathfinder or anything like that. The fact of the matter is, is that Pathfinder puts out the best adventures. Yeah. Like 5e has some really good adventures out there, especially I understand some of the, the recent stuff has been really good. I think it's like Rhyme of the Frost Maiden or whatever yeah. it was. It's interesting. Was well reviewed. But the Pathfinder adventure paths are some of the best written tabletop RPG adventures. And so if you just want to take the story and just switch over to whatever mechanic system works for you, mm -hmm. if you wanted to do 
going back to what we we're talking about earlier, there was a, a side blurb or something I saw somewhere about doing strange aeons using the Call of Cthulhu rules. Hmm. It's like, if you want to do a, a, an adventure path using Call of Cthulhu or using 5e or using GURPS or whatever you want, go nuts. <laughs> yeah, true. And somebody's probably already worked on it. So you can just, uh, you know, there's yeah. all sorts of communities that do a bunch of conversions and stuff. Quite feasibly, yeah. Uh, they say, they continue, thanks again, gang. P.S. The website looks awesome. Love the art on the Contact Us page. And I need to get a Find the Path t-shirt ASAP. Yeah, you do. You Thank know where you, you can get a Find the Path t-shirt <laughs> at find-path.com. Click yeah. on the store button. Considering the they're time. extolling the, uh, you know, the wonders list. of our website, I think they know how to get there. I'll, I'll, I'll do credit there to Jessica listening. because Jessica's yeah, responsible for the, the beauty of the website. Oh, yeah, that's my website. I do things yeah. there. That's your website. So find-path.com. Go there. We've got a merch store. Some merch, some t-shirts. If you want some early t-shirts in exclusive colors, they are available to our Patreon supporters at the $25 tier. And that's true. Every four months, you get a new t-shirt. Yeah, we've got other stuff on there, too. We've got mugs and... Uh, mugs, pens, else. artwork. Yeah. The art that is on the Contact Us is the uh, ancient Egypt thing that Sarah Goodcouch made for us that has, like, the cats and all of us doing weird stuff. Oh, oh awesome. yeah. Oh, I nice. love that picture. Nice. I love that picture. I felt a little bit like a band there where it's just like, yeah, before you leave, the merch stalls in the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, you've ever, if you've ever gone to a small venue with a band, definitely yep. buy their merch. That's all the money they're making. Yep. So. And uh, that is it for email. So uh, that brings us to casting the legends. I'll also mention there are more deities in the Milwaukee Expanse book. That is true. Ooh. However, we have already committed to a new course, so uh, maybe true. that'll be a future goal for something in uh, whatever. It's a second edition. It's a second edition book. We can maybe look at something in a or a second edition. Do it in the Hell's Rebels podcast. Who knows? I'm going to digitally roll a die because my dice are put away. Weird. Uh, okay. Well, roll me a d19 then. Can't do, friend. <laughs> the magic of digital. All right, I got a three. Interesting. Hmm. Today we're going to be count casting. Bella Marius. Oh. The Rune Lord of Envy. Nice. Rune Lord Bella Marius rose to her position through blackmail, slander, theft, murder, and ruthlessly deposing her rivals with wit and wizardry. A practiced politician, Bella Marius became a brutal tyrant unafraid of shedding blood. She was the most effective ruler of Edrasil had ever seen, but even as her nation prospered, Bellamarius never enjoyed the respect of her fellow rune lords. Considered to be one of the weakest amongst the seven, she brooded and plotted her years away, crafting bargains and planning coups. Her petty grasping at power ended abruptly when rune lord Karzug sabotaged her efforts to escape Earthfall. Her city of Zen Edrasil was encapsulated in an impenetrable globe of force while she, her people, and the city were locked inside of a time loop, reliving the same week over and over again for 10,000 years. Mm. As the ages wore on, Zen Edrasil faded to myth without, with most calling the entrapped city Crystillion. With her people and city now freed from her temporal prison by meddling of heroes, Rune Lord Bellamarius has stepped out of time to reassert her rule and lead her nation back to its former heights of prestige and prosperity. All right, I got mine. All right, so Bellamarius, a little bit older, seems yep. super fierce, a little mm -hmm. petty. I am going to cast Kate Mulgrew. 
Oh, who, you did okay. not pick who I thought. Who is right. uh, red in Orange is the New Black, and she was on Voyager. Who, yeah, I was about to say, if you don't know who Captain Janeway is, we have issues. <laughs> oh, people don't know. Sorry, I, I didn't know her name, but I the moment I saw her yeah. face, I knew who she was. She was in yeah, Gargoyle. Definitely. She was Titania, Rachel. Titania. On that, oh. on that long list yeah. of Star Trek people in Gargoyle. Yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> half the Star Trek cast so anyway, Gargoyle, she's just great. Uh, she plays the leader, like a ruthless leader, super well. And nice. uh, I love her. Okay, so for me, uh, I am going to go with a very well-known actress uh, who has actually played a queen before, uh, Helen Mirren. Oh, you didn't pick Ooh. mine. I thought you were about to. I do love Helen Mirren. Nice. But... Yes. Hel Helen Mirren is a fantastic actress, played Queen Elizabeth II in The Queen. So there you go. But Helen Mirren is too, like, small. Bella Marius has some meat I know. That's bones. the one part I was struggling with. I was like, I need I need somebody who's a little more heavyweight, but I'm working Kate with Mulgrew. what I got. Yeah, Kate Mulgrew is <laughs> the perfect casting, actually. So, you know. All right, y'all. Kathy Bates. Oh, you took my backup. <laughs> All right. That's All pretty right. good. That's a pretty All good right. one. Okay, we've got some All good right. ones in the run-in. I just... When just I don't know her portrayal uh, in American Horror Story, the mm, Coven. Yes. Just you know, I cannot remember the that lady's name from New Orleans. Yeah. Um, that was she did such a good job that I was like she could totally be a rune lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a pretty nice. good one. I, I thought Jordan was going to take mine. Dame Judy Dench. She I, was that actually was another my first one thought, I kind yeah. of thought uh, of too. She was my first thought. She has that queen presence and yeah. she can play the nice, you know, Victoria style queen. She does Queen Elizabeth. Like she just, she does it all. And I freaking love Judy Dench. I also just, uh, when Have I was not picturing cast her in anything, uh, apparently not. But when wow. I was picturing her, I was imagining her as the, like the countess from the murder on the Orient Express. Oh mm. yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. I was picturing. These are some hard, I'm glad I don't have to choose. Was Definitely a good choice, one. considering like that was one of my first thoughts was uh, Dame Judi Dench. But actually, I'm I'm following a little bit along the Jessica line here, where I'm going with a uh, a Star Trek actress. Mm. Oh, really? Famed in uh, Discovery for playing uh, Philippa Georgiou, as well as the Empress oh. uh, Philippa oh. Georgiou, Michelle Yeoh. Mm. I absolutely love her as an actress, just in general. It's, it, she's a little bit more butt kicky than I think Belarius maybe is normally. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. that like vindictive, murderous side—if you ever oh, see yeah. the uh, the mirror universe version of her character in Star Trek Discovery, God, yeah, she's great. Yeah, so, all uh, good choices. These are Michelle all good Yo. choices. Good luck, y'all. <laughs> man, I'm glad right. I don't have to pick. Man, that's that is a tough one. That's that a tough is. One. A and as that always, go to the Reddit. Yeah, to hop on vote. our subreddit. Say hi to Jay over there. Uh -huh. yep. And then vote for uh, Kate Milgrew. <laughs> uh, vote for Judy Dench. Kathy Bates, y'all. I mean, Kathy Bates was my backup, so I'm down for that one, too. <laughs> I'm still going Michelle Yeoh. I was, right. I was really surprised we have not actually cast her for anything. We yet. put her up for a few, but she yeah. hasn't been picked. But yeah, and also mm -hmm. Judy, Dame Jane? Judy Dench. Jame Judy Shench. <laughs> yeah, Jame Judy Shench. <laughs> My lord. Words are hard. And on that note, um, good luck out there, Pathfolk. Bye, Goodbye, Pathfolk. Bye, Pathfolk. Good luck. All right, bye. Bye, Pathfolk. Be safe. Bye. 
Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Paths are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.